Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 46th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. 46, and I'm just being honest with you guys here, I had to stretch a little for this one, but 46 is the number of stolen bases projected for Adalberto Mondesi this season, and I'm bringing him up here only because he is straight up one of the most fascinating players in baseball right now. Just can't think of precedence for what he did last year, you know, like was arguably baseball's worst hitter for the first two months and then arguably baseball's best player for the last month uh my guess is that Mondesi ends up being thought of as something you know less than a star but also very useful and productive with hot and cold streaks that are you know exaggerated by what i think and what other people think is just a relative lack of confidence um however that is possible but uh whatever happens of all the reasons to be curious about the 2021 royal season he is one of the biggest okay the goal this week as always is to be worth your time uh we're going to try to do that this week starting with ku athletics director jeff long believe it or not i have one more point that i want to make about him uh then a great run of questions about weird press conferences the chief salary cap the chances of alex smith returning to kansas city and kids going to school the bonus segment will be a little different than what we usually do we're going to play some audio from Chiefs General Manager Brett Veach that you might have heard already, but we're going to analyze it with some context and talk about a really important part of the team's future. Okay, uh, the Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now. Dollar a month for three months for all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs content, Chiefs and Royals content than you can find anywhere else. You can find that on our website or just reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or email, and I will send you the link. I appreciate all of you who've listened and offered great feedback and written in asking for the subscription link. Your support means everything to me and more importantly with the people that I work with. So, uh, so thank you. Okay, we're going to start this week with the dumpster fire that is Kansas Athletics this week. You know the basics. KU and football coach Les Miles agreed to, you know, air quotes, part ways after some really ugly allegations involving sexual harassment uh, surfaced from his time at LSU. At that moment, into Tuesday afternoon, Kansas Chancellor Doug Gerard thought enough of Long to allow him to be the face of the university and athletics department moving forward into the future. But by that night, after an objectively disastrous press conference, Long decided to, you know, air quotes again, you know, step down. I'm, I'm not here to go through all the reasons Jeff Long needed gone, right? Like, Lord knows I've written enough about that this week. And if you haven't, I, I hope you read the columns. There's some really good stuff in there. And it's not because I'm a good reporter or anything, just because Long had alienated so many people who wanted to talk. So anyway, um, I, I wanted to use the top of the show this week to talk more about the future of KU. And I have two points that I want to share. And, and I hope you're going to keep these in mind because these are important. The, the first is Doug Gerard needs to wear his share of this. Um, you know, the chancellor has not talked publicly but he's been busy behind the scenes and there is simply no way for the university and the athletics department to move on successfully from this embarrassing week that does not include Gerard answering some tough questions about himself. Um, I'm not 
I want to be clear when I say answer tough questions about himself. This is not me like banging on the table about him needing to do a press conference or whatever. Um, I do think KU fans deserve to hear from him, by the way, and that the public confidence would grow if people knew what that plan was if he did answer some questions. But when I say like answer tough questions about himself, I'm talking more about him, like the chancellor, Doug, like doing some just honest self-evaluation and figuring out what he did or didn't do the last two and a half years. You know, the, the more I hear from people who have been living this on the inside, I mean, look, I, I know this isn't a perfect analogy, but it really reminds me of some of the stuff I heard about Scott Pioli's years with the Chiefs. Uh, I'm not talking about gum wrappers or, you know, long treating people poorly or anything like that. But there's a lot of similarities, man. Like Long was seen as an outsider. He was asked to modernize a department that had become outdated in some ways. He had an ego that prevented him from recognizing blind spots. He took more of the credit and less of the blame than a leader should. Uh, he became walled off and isolated within the department. He was obsessed with how he was perceived, even as he'd never admit that. And even as he acted in a way that consistently torpedoed the public's perception of him. Like I said, it's not a perfect analogy, but I'm telling you, there's a lot there. There's a lot there that, that is really similar to, to the Chiefs' worst years. And I'm not bringing this up to like dunk on Jeff Long or Scott Pioli. Uh, I'm bringing it up because the analogy of those Pioli years might actually be best with Clark Hunt and Doug Gerard. This is the part that I think is going to help you understand kind of what's going on and what the future can look like because a, a GM or an AD cannot create like all these problems on his own, you know, like GMs and ADs are bosses, but they have bosses and Clark Hunt made a lot of mistakes, you know, most of which can generally be described as, you know, sort of not being in touch enough. Um, he trusted Pioli and he trusted him too much. He wasn't hearing from other people enough. He didn't know the problems that were being created until it was too late. And from everything I'm hearing, there is a lot of that in Doug Gerard and what's happened in KU's athletics department. You know, uh, because look, like, a, let's be honest here, right? Like a chancellor who had his finger on the pulse, who understood what was happening, like that chancellor never would have allowed Long, Long to do that press conference on Tuesday, right? Like that chancellor would have fired Long at the same time he fired Miles or better yet, would have better understood the issues with Long way before they got to this point. So let's go back to this Chiefs analogy. 2012 was rock bottom, right? Um, that was just an unfathomably terrible time uh, for the Chiefs. I mean, literally tragic with Jovan Belcher's murder-suicide. I mean, the, the, the Chiefs were an embarrassment. And you know what? Clark Hunt responded with his finest moment. And you can criticize Clark for some stuff, and, and Lord knows I have from time to time, but 2013, that was his greatest moment. Fired Romeo Cornell, uh, finally fired Pioli, identified and aggressively targeted the best head coaching candidate on the market, got him to accept the job when there was a plane literally outside the room waiting to take him to another interview, paired that coach with a sharp general manager, reworked the organizational structure in a way that would prevent those same problems that happened with Pioli from repeating. And, and look, I'm not saying that's why the Chiefs are so successful now, right? Like Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and John Dorsey and Brett Veach and Travis Kelsey and Tyron Matthew, on and on. There's a lot of reasons that the Chiefs are successful now. But I would argue that none of this would have been possible without that original action by Clark. And again, we can say it was too late, right? That, that Clark shouldn't have allowed it to get that bad. Uh, there's a lot of truths to be said there, right? But, uh, you know, in the Chiefs' worst moment, Clark responded with his best. And you can see where I'm going with this, right? Like this needs to be Gerard's best moment. And to do that, 
he needs to do some self-inventory. He needs to be honest with himself, surround himself with people who will be honest with them. Like, and he can do this, but he can't do it the way that he's been doing the job. You know what I mean? And, and that includes everything, by the way. Like, um, you know, obviously the most visible piece of this is the search for a new AD and football coach eventually. And they need to be careful here about not, you know, continuing the pattern of sort of like overcorrecting everything. Because they went from Mangino to Turner Kill, then to Charlie Weiss, then to David Beatty, then back to a version of Weiss with less miles. And y- you can see how there's just sort of like ping-ponging back and forth between these extremes, right? Like, you know, similar things can be said about going from Lou Perkins to Shane Zinger to Jeff Long. The, you know, like the, the search criteria just has to be deeper than like, hey, what went wrong this last time? Okay, let's find someone who's the opposite, you know? And look, like ties to KU are probably important um, to get more people on board, but that can't be like the biggest qualification. Certainly can't be the only qualification, right? They need a communicator, um, a listener, someone who's organized, someone who, who will include people, someone without ego, someone, you know, wanting to take more blame, less credit, someone who wants to like serve the staff, someone who can fundraise, someone with vision, someone with chops, someone who can put out and prevent fires on and on and on and on. And and this is a critical time, obviously, but I, I wanna make the point here that it starts with the chancellor and it starts with the chancellor being willing to answer some tough questions and be better. And there's a terrific example, if he does that, there's a terrific example of what's possible down the highway, right? Before we move on to the rest of the show, this podcast is free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. We work hard to bring you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. Uh, you know, please help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Again, you can join for a dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. You can find those links online or reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or email and I will send them along. Um, okay, quick break and then we will be back with some questions. If you want to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone. Call anytime. 816 816- Two three four four three six five, or as the great reader Michael points out, eight one six beg idle. Hey, Sam, this is Kyle. I'm from Newton, Kansas. Um, you've been a part of a lot of news and press conferences. Was Jeff Long's on uh, Tuesday one of the weirdest that you've ever experienced? Love to hear your thoughts. Have a good one, man. We'll see you. Yeah, that that was something. Um, you know, there's the old saying about a bad idea poorly executed, and that's what that was. Um, you know, Jeff wanted to, in his mind, correct what he thought were some wrong perceptions. And, you know, I think the main point he wanted to make was that Les lied to him. Um, you know, that Jeff asked the question twice about whether there was anything that could come out that would embarrass the university. And, and you know, Les lied to him twice. Um, you know, Jeff did that. He made that point. Um, he made it at least a few times, but he just left so many doors open and, you know, actually like open doors that he shouldn't have. 
uh, I mean, he was visibly nervous to the point of just being overmatched by the moment, you know, like in the beginning, uh, you know, before he even took a question, he like incorrectly corrected some grammar reading from a prepared statement. Um, it, it was just, it was really bad. And, you know, look, maybe this is a good time to talk about the elephant in the room, right? Because the exchange I had with him set off a, a lot of reaction. I, I, I hope you guys know me well enough to know I'm not trying to make this a dunk show. Like, I, I hate asking questions like that in press conferences for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, it can come off showy. You, you don't always get the best answers that way. The answers you do get, everybody else gets too. So, uh, but there's just not an alternative in that situation, um, you know, not right now. So, you know, there, there was a way for Jeff to answer that question, uh, you know, like a man who could make a case for keeping his job. But, you know, anyway, l- let's just play the clip. The, the, this is how he answered it. Hey, uh, Jeff, this is a, a little bit along those same lines, too. Uh, it's the Sam Mellinger in Kansas City. Um, this is something that in normal times, maybe I try to ask you to the side. So I apologize for the format here. But the hires that you made in Arkansas, we were talking a lot about less, but the hires at Arkansas weren't successful either. Are there things that you've learned? In, in what regard? I would have to ask, what regard were they not successful? On, on the field? I mean, in the Petrino thing, um, we, don't, we don't need to get into that. But, like, what, what have you learned from those processes, or what, why do you think KU fans should be confident that, that you can make this hire uh, the right one? Yeah, um, well, like I said, I've been involved in college football my entire uh professional life uh i've worked in a number of institutions i worked in another a number of conferences um i have excuse me uh worked in uh many different ways in college football but i think i'm uniquely prepared having been a college football coach at the division one level uh, at a power five school early in my career and then having worked at a number of power five institutions along the way so I, i'm confident in my uh, knowledge i'm confident in my experience and you know i have no doubt that we can find the next great leader for the ku in the best interest of our student athletes look um again i didn't need to get into that, right? Like that, that wasn't the point I was trying to make. I wanted him to have the chance to take some accountability to basically, you know, all he had to do, you guys, like just say, you know, we're, we're constantly evaluating our processes to make sure we're moving forward. And, you know, with the information we had at the time, we felt great about hiring a guy with less of success, but obviously we missed something here. Everybody missed something from, you know, LSU when they extended him to ESPN when they hired him. It was all of us. And that's not an excuse to pass the buck, but just a reminder that we need to constantly push ourselves to be as diligent as possible with our hires. And that's what we're going to do going forward, including a wider search committee and a firm to run background checks. But yes, obviously this wasn't good enough and we're committed to being better going forward, right? Like that's all you have to say. (laughs) I mean, it, it just, it shouldn't be that hard, but you know, instead to get all like indignant and be like, you know, look, man, like the first coach I hired turned us into a national embarrassment. And the second coach I hired was fired because he was a terrible fit um, and couldn't win enough. And the third coach I hired just went 0-9 and turned us into a national embarrassment. So in what regard is that not successful? I mean, like, give me a break, right? Like, when a leader becomes like this out of touch, you know, like this insecure, just devoid of credibility, I mean, yeah, that was one of the weirdest press conferences I've ever been a part of. Um, Okay, let's, uh, let's move on. Some Chiefs. Hi, Sam. This is Marcus in St. Joseph. Uh, my question for you today for the podcast is, what does the decrease uh, in the NFL salary cap, uh, roughly 8%, 
mean for the Chiefs' ability to maintain their salaries as envisioned? Were they anticipating such a decrease, or does this leave Brett Beach in a tight spot? Thanks. So you probably saw that the cap was set at $182.5 million uh, for the upcoming season. That's something like $30 million less than teams have been planning on a year ago um, for this season. Uh, that That's a big problem, but, you know, there's a few things to keep in mind here. Um, you know, the first is that everybody's working with the same set of rules, right? Um, there's a lots, lots of teams are in better cap situations than the Chiefs, but, you know, the truth is that the lowered cap is worse for players than it is for teams. And, you know, some guys, like, and this is especially true for the sort of middle and lower class of players because, you know, stars are always going to get paid. But, you know, a lot of guys are going to have to take less money um, than they would otherwise, or they're going to have to be okay structuring deals that push their money to next year and beyond, or they're going to have to take, you know, short and smaller one-year deals and hope to hit free agency next year. Um, some guys will have to do like a combination of, of, of all of that stuff. So, you know, if, if the Chiefs in the NFL had a different cap situation, for instance, like I wonder if Eric Fisher wouldn't have been cut. You know, I mean, there's no way we'll ever know, but, um, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about him more in the third block of the show, uh, by the way. But, you know, $12 million, like that's just too much of a cap to, to hope on recovery. And, you know, the Chiefs need to be careful, but it's it's always important here to remember, like, this is a different kind of cap trouble than some other teams have or, you know, different cap trouble than what the Chiefs had five or six years ago because their cap challenges, like it, it's because they have some great players who are making a lot of money. <laughs> you know, you'll take that, right? Um, but I actually think they're going to be okay on this. Um, you know, somehow they, they shed something like $16 million between Fisher and Schwartz. They can trim another $17 million with some paperwork that would convert some of Mahomes' bonus money. And, you know, I'm going to be shocked if they don't do a new deal for Tyron Matthew. Um, he's scheduled for a $19.7 million cap hit. And that can be drastically reduced with the contract extension. And, I mean, that'll happen. Like, he, he's a great player, a better teammate. He's an enormous part of this team's personality. It just, it just makes too much sense. So, you know, what we're looking at here, like, the Chiefs are down – uh, they're at about $3 million over the cap after cutting Fisher and Schwartz. And so between Mahomes and Matthew and then some smaller profile moves, you know, maybe they restructure LDT or Anthony Hitchens, you know, the Chiefs can get to like $25, $30 million or so of, of cap space. They can do that fairly quickly. And, you know, from there... You spend big in free agency on a tackle, maybe two, add some smaller pieces, get your draft class together, and you try to make it to another Super Bowl, right? Um, okay, here's another Chiefs question that I'm I'm hearing this a lot, so I wanted to include it here in the show, and uh, maybe this will be it. Okay. Sam, good morning. Eric from Belfast, Maine, originally from Odessa. My question is, what are the odds, and wouldn't it be cool if Alex Smith decided to sign with the Chiefs as a backup in order to get a Super Bowl ring before he retires, would that be possible? And would that be a good thing for the Chiefs? Thank you. Have a nice day. Uh, that would be a hell of a story, right? Like, you know, who wouldn't love this? You know, Alex was happy in Kansas City. The Chiefs loved him. And, you know, a lot of the principal pieces are still in place. Um, he'd obviously be an asset for the Chiefs. You know, not just his brain and character and all that, but as we saw last year, like somehow, somehow the guy can still play. But that would require Alex being into it. And I just don't know that he like put in all of that work to pull off a comeback that nobody really thought was possible, you know, to do all that, 
have success with Washington last year, help them into the playoffs. You know, he does all of that and then just settles on being a backup. I, I just, I, I, that's hard to see, you know, um, not the money, like he's made enough money. Um, and I can't imagine that he'll be trying to get every last dollar in his next deal. But I think the only thing that can pull you through a recovery like that is just an unnatural desire to play. Um, again, it, it would be a great story. But if you're Alex, like, don't you want to play? Don't you want to, like, see how much you can still do? And look, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's no place for him to play anymore. Um, you know, maybe he can't find a a team that, that thinks he can be a starting quarterback or at least give him a chance to compete for a starting quarterback. I'd be surprised about that. I think he's good enough that he can at least get an invite, get a contract, I should say, not an invite, but a contract um, where he thinks he has a fair chance to, to win the job. I just That's what I would expect him to want to do. Um, but I don't know. I guess you never know. Um, okay, uh, we got time for one more question. Hey, Sam, this is Andy in Oregon. Um, we have a pretty cool state here uh, with uh, the scenery of the mountains and forests and a cool coastline. There's a good beer scene and, and uh, wine, too. I think you, you were out here a few years ago in Hood River, so I'm like, at a good time. That's a great spot. One thing we don't have now is kids in school, and that sounds pretty cool. So maybe you can tell me, what's that like? Thanks. Enjoy your work. Uh, Andy, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you know, not about living in Oregon because that's awesome. Um, I love your state for all the reasons you just mentioned and more, but yeah, that sucks. Um, there is, and I, I mean this literally 100%. There is not a single day that goes by that I am not thankful our kids can go to school, you know, where I'm not thankful for the teachers and everyone else making it possible, thankful for everything they're doing in a fundamentally just bonkers year to help our kids learn. Um, cause you know, it's not the same, right? Like, you know, at our school, the, at our like neighborhood grade school, there's two first grade classes and our son has zero interaction with any of his kids in the other class. That's weird, right? Like there's a bunch of stuff like that. And, um, you know, honestly, I don't care at all. <laughs> I, I'm just thankful that they get to go. And I think a lot about the kids and families that just aren't as lucky as we are. And it's terrible. And I know some people, you know, want to paint this as parents being lazy, you know, or not caring about teachers or whatever. But like, let's not even consider like the extra burden on parents. Uh, you know, the, the kids are missing so much. They're missing like trained professionals to help them learn and grow in person. They're, they're missing structure. They're missing the social part. They're missing, you know, made up games in gym class and, and climbing on playground equipment at recess and, you know, working with other kids on tasks. I mean, it's, it's just impossible to replicate that or, or re really even approach what kids get in person. So, you know, the, the only solace is that that I can think of is that it does seem like things are getting better, you know, case numbers and vaccinations. And, you know, I also think that for at least some kids, like they're going to look back and maybe even be better off with the experience of, of having to adapt and test new skills and all that. But, you know, obviously that's not even close to the harm being done. And, you know, not just the obvious that we talked about, but it's also true that for a lot of kids, like, you know, school is where they get their meals and it's where they get checked on. It's they, they get protected being at school. Um, you know, just all sorts of just potentially brutal consequences that, um, you know, I don't think we've seen um, yet. Right. Like, I, I think those will show up more and more into the future. It's it's it sucks, man. So 
I'm sorry. I know, I know it's got to be tough and, you know, but hopefully it'll be better in the fall, right? Um, okay. Um, now, one more break, and then we're going to be back with some stuff about the Chiefs and truth. Okay, um, here we go. We're going to finish strong, guys. Um, And as long as we're on the topic of press conferences, right? (laughs) Uh, I've been thinking some about Brett Veach's from a few few weeks back. Um, This was, you know, sort of the placeholder for the the deal he would have done at the Combine if we had one. And, you know, questions about the offseason plan and draft strengths and all that. Um, the most notable thing that came out of uh, Veach's press conference, this was two Mondays ago, I, I believe. But the most notable thing, a lot of us were talking about this at the time, but the most notable thing was like what seemed like some optimism about the health of Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. Anyway, let's let's play the clip here. Uh, this is when uh, Adam Teicher asked about the expectations for the health and timelines for Fisher, Schwartz and Mahomes. Um, here's what Brett said. Yeah, well, I'm just looking at my medical notes here. So Pat had his toe surgery on um, two two ten. Um, you know, talking to Rick earlier this or earlier late last week. It's it's a three month recovery, so we're hopeful. You know, somewhere around that mandatory mini camp, if we have, um, you know, we certainly think by training camp he'll be good to go, and, and we'll be smart with him. Um, Mitch just recently had his his disc worked on, and we're hopeful for. Um, for him to return to training camp, and the same thing with Fish. So um, we're hopeful both these guys will, you know, complete the rehab and and be available for for training camp and, and to start the the 2021 season. Uh, I would probably say Pat's ahead of them just because of the um um you know that type of injury and probably a quicker recovery. But hopefully, have all three ready to go by training camp. I mean, that was a shock, right? Like Fisher tore his Achilles in in late January. And we know that no two injuries are exactly the same. No two bodies heal exactly the same. But, uh, you know, that is typically, that's an average of an 11-month recovery. And, you know, so now Veach is talking about, like, mid-August? Because that would be, you know, what, less than seven months? About six and a half months? You know, this doesn't happen a lot. But when he said that, that just set off this text thread that, uh, you know, some of us who cover the Chiefs have. Um, so anyway, when it, when it came time for my question, um, I came up a few questions after Adam, but, uh, when it came time for mine, like I just, you know, you follow up on it. Right. So, um, here's that exchange. Hey, Brett, uh, good to see you. Um, but before I ask the question I was going to ask, um, can I just have you clarify something with Eric Fisher? You said that you were expecting him back by training camp. Are you saying that there's a chance he could play, you know, first game of the regular season? Yeah, I think, um, look at my notes right here. Yeah. Achilles surgery 129. You know, based on Rick and his medical staff, he he projects a mid-August return. So now, listen, how that works, and you know, everything is different, and everyone recovers differently. So, you know, I think um, with that injury, and and you know, with the time leading up for the season, you know, Rick has here a mid-August return, and you know how that works. That's all always you know to be determined until the player actually reports back to camp and goes through the offseason and see where he is. But I think that um, you know the mid-August timeline was put in front of my notes here, so you know I'll I'll defer to Rick on that and, and trust his medical expertise. Okay, so there was still enough murkiness here that we asked the Chiefs PR department for some additional clarity, but. 
you know, the answer was basically that Brett was quoting Rick. So, you know, that's that. And, you know, now here we are a week and a half later and the Chiefs have cut both Fisher and Schwartz. Uh, Schwartz is probably going to retire. And, um, you know, so we can put that to the side. Right. Um, and, and the Chiefs won't say this publicly. Um, or at least they haven't yet. But, you know, particularly with a smaller cap, they just don't feel like they could bet $12 million cap hit on uh, on Fisher's recovery. So, you know, the question, and it's been asked by people, like, did, did Veach lie? Got to be asked, right? Like, on the surface, yes, absolutely, right? Like, he said mid-August, and, and now he's cutting him. But if you go back and listen to that clip, like, he, even when I asked the question about whether he really expected Fisher to play in the season opener, he didn't answer that part. You know, um, he, he was basically all like, hey, this is what Rick says and I have the notes in front of me, so I'm going to defer to his expertise. Well, OK, so as it turns out, mid-August return was actually just to be on the field. You know, that means, you know, moving around with cleats and pads and, you know, doing what they call football related activities. Right. But uh, football related activities are different than blocking Joey Bosa or whoever in the season opener. And, you know, you go back and Veach never said he'd be clear to play. Um, just that he was hopeful and you know mentioning mid-august became sort of like this bright shiny object so anyway that's how we get from what looked like it could maybe perhaps be the best case scenario of fisher and schwartz each being healthy by the postseason to neither one being on the roster uh, maybe in another year with another cap situation maybe the chiefs would write it out but um 12 million dollars and you know man <laughs> here it comes uh 12 million dollars in this economy right uh but that just became too much of a gamble so um okay the last thing i'm going to say here is that i absolutely believe that the chiefs have a very good idea what they're going to do a tackle and you should believe that too by the way i believe that plan includes a, a big money free agent and you know the draft and maybe even lucas niang um I, I don't think the Chiefs would have done this or uh, allowed themselves to be in this situation of cutting both their tackles. I don't think that this happens without having a really good idea who is protecting the edges of Patrick Mahomes. You know, like this is one of those situations where like there's been times that the Chiefs have been so mismanaged that you, you would you would assume that they don't have a plan. Right. But I think that this group uh, ha- has earned the benefit of the doubt. And I just can't imagine that they don't have a plan right now of, of who they think is going to be their starting left tackle. So, okay, uh, that's the show this week. I appreciate you listening. And as always, I hope we're worth your time. Thanks to everyone who called in, even those we couldn't get to. Uh, big thanks to Savannah Smith for putting this together. And as always, the biggest thanks to you for giving us your time and letting us be a small part of your life. Uh, Let's do it again next week and uh, have a good weekend. Be kind.